Welcome to Mintel's Little Conversation podcast. Welcome to Mintel's Little Conversation, a new podcast series that brings Mintel firmly into a world of modern content consumption. With this series, we'll bring together Mintel's brightest minds to discuss some of the trendy, foodie, beauty, and frankly, any other topics that we would like to talk about that cross our minds every day. I'm Andrew Davidson, SVP and Chief Insights Officer for Mintel Compare Media, based in New York. And today, we're going to be talking about what's new and what's next for something called the clean movement which is a trend that is sweeping across many industries, notably beauty, food and drink, household and personal care. These are industries we care very passionately about at Mintel, um, both here in the United States and globally in other parts of the world. So I'm very excited because here to talk about this topic with me, I have Mintel's Alison Gaither and Hannah Spencer in Chicago and Jamie Rosenberg in Wisconsin. Welcome to the pod. Thank you. Thank you. Hi, nice to be here. So if you could, to get started, if you could please uh, introduce yourselves, just tell us your name, title, how long have you been at Mentel? How long have you been tracking your industry? Yeah, of course. My name is Allison Gaither. I'm a beauty analyst at Mintel. I've been with Mintel almost four years, but I've been working in the beauty industry for nearly eight. Hi, I'm Hannah Spencer. I'm a food service analyst at Mintel. Before coming to Mintel, I worked in consulting for CPG and food companies and restaurants on matters related to nutrition and nutrition marketing. I am a registered dietitian, so I have a clinical and nutritional science background as well. My name is Jamie Rosenberg. I'm a senior global analyst at Mintel. I've been with the company for six years. Um, I've been analyzing the household care market for more than 20 years. Prior to joining Mintel, I spent 12 years with Kimberly Clark Corporation in corporate strategy and, and the new ventures group. Excellent. So we have some serious expertise on the pod today. And the, the title of this podcast is Defining Clean, Defining Clean. So you know, for my sanity, where did this all start? What's the genesis of this? So it's interesting because the word clean, you obviously would heavily associate with household in that category, but it really did begin in food, this interest in natural ingredients. Whole Foods opened its first store in 1980 to cater to this growing consumer interest in real foods, whole foods, and if a food is processed, it at least having a recognizable ingredient list. Um, since then, there's been a major paradigm shift in consumer thinking that in order for a food to be healthy, it needs to be simple, unprocessed, as close to the real thing as possible. And it's not a fad. This is something that's just going to continue to evolve in coming years. Yeah, so in beauty, it kind of was inspired, again, by food and drink, but there was also this growing, um, I guess, importance of like the environmental working group and some of their um, studies that started to come out and gain traction around parabens, silicones, more popular um, sulfates. And so it started making consumers kind of wonder if um, I can't eat it, is it safe to technically put it on my skin? So this sort of clean movement started, but there's really not a true, true definition of it in beauty right now. I think it's still evolving because there isn't any um, regulation around it. And it's, e and it's even now touching, you know, household and personal care. I mean, it's just really spreading. Yeah, well, the, the origins of the clean movement in, in household have been a bit different. You know, if we look back 30, 40, 50 years, um, this is a market where historically consumers have accepted that the products which best remove dirt and germs come with a certain health trade-off. 
you know, we, we, we wear gloves. Sometimes we even don face masks when we clean the house. Then in the 1980s, we, we saw the rise of environmentally friendly cleaning products. And, and these were positioned around doing no harm to the planet. It was all about reducing air and water pollution. But then over the last decade or so, consumer watchdog groups have gained influence to change regulations and innovation practices to the point where we're now seeing a big rise in the launch of products that are, are positioned more on, on the personal benefits and the planetary benefits of clean. And so the, these new products prioritize the health of the consumer through the, the removal of, of, of dozens, maybe even hundreds of, of demonized ingredients. So it sounds like this is sort of like the coming together of multiple trends that have been sort of bubbling up over the years. Let's like, let's take it back to the beginning. Then let's start with food and, um, and just think about that. So how within food and drink, so it started there, but how has it evolved within the food and drink industry? What, what sort of innovation are we seeing in this clean movement today when it comes to food and drink? Definitely. As Jamie mentioned, there's always a trade-off. You know, I think in the 1950s and 60s, people were interested in convenience over anything else. They were okay with a ton of artificial ingredients if it meant their frozen dinner could be ready in two minutes. Versus today, more consumers are interested in cooking, getting back to the basics. And the genesis and motivation for this really is health. People have realized over the years that these processed foods are lacking in some of the nutrition qualities of a whole food. I mean, if you're looking at even orange juice versus just eating an orange, you're definitely sacrificing the fiber and some of the nutrition qualities. And do we say, uh, what sort of, uh, sort of cutting edge innovation are we seeing in this area? Um, I think one of the biggest things we're continuing to see is it's now mandatory for a large group of consumers that a food does have a clean label in order for them to consider purchasing it. And food service companies are really catering to this now more than ever. Restaurants such as Panera have come out with their clean no-no list where they actually write down all the ingredients they do not use in their food. So I think one of the big things we're seeing evolving is the food industry defining clean within their realms. Um, you know, the word natural is unregulated for the food industry. So it really is up to companies to come up with their own definitions and how far they want to take it. And yeah. I think we're going to continue to see that evolution of how are we defining clean? How are we defining natural? And how are we and how are companies going to continue to cater to this interest? Yeah, it's, it's interesting because it feels like a lot of this is about the language that we're using. And Definitely. Um, I, would, I, as I say, I live in New York and I was in Manhattan the other day walking what, two weeks ago. I was walking past a cosmetics store and there was a sign outside and it said too cute to contaminate, which struck me as slightly odd for a cosmetic cosmetics store. Underneath it had this another big sign saying shop clean. So it seems to be a lot about the language and a lot about the marketability of it. You know, how big is the clean movement within the beauty industry, Alison? And what are we seeing there? Yeah, so to Hannah's point, it's the word natural isn't regulated in beauty either. And it seems to me that consumers are kind of latching on to whatever that new buzzword of the moment is. It used to be green and now it's clean. And ultimately, clean is an easier lifestyle to live than, say, on completely organic or completely natural lifestyle. It's just minus a few um, ingredients that are considered 
again, no-no ingredients. Um, retailers like Credo and Sephora have their own kind of no-no list of products that they're not going to um, carry if they don't have that like certain ingredient listing. But for the most part, um, I think it's just consumers wanting to live a holistic, um, healthy lifestyle. And so retailers too are kind of jumping on this trend. Yeah, and I would say there's a crossover between so many categories because like Allison said earlier, consumers are looking towards a more holistic lifestyle and looking for more natural remedies for things. Um, For example, like collagen peptides, consumers are using more because they think it's a more natural way to get protein and the added beauty potential benefits of that. And, you know, this natural is really what consumers are latching on to. And I think in household, I mean, household brands have definitely taken their innovation cue, their clean innovation cue from the beauty and, and food categories. And um, one thing that I think is interesting in household, though, um, so even though the, the, the genesis of the clean movement wasn't in, in the household category, um, arguably, the, if you look at the handful of products, and it really is a fledgling movement in household, but the products that are at the leading edge of the clean movement in household I think arguably um, are a bigger divergence from the norm than in food and beauty and personal care. And, and one reason I say this is, is because some products are moving beyond free from to, to actually leverage entirely different systems um, to control dirt and germs. Um, so for example, in, in the US, there, there's a, a brand called Puretti. They, they have a glass cleaner which um, apparently is a a NASA-developed formulation that promotes um, photocatalytic oxidation on the surface of the glass. So this process kills organic pollutants on the glass, and and it keeps the glass clean and streak-free. But at the same time, this is a a convenience enhancement because it reduces the the frequency of cleaning. Probiotic household products also fall into this category because you know they they, they literally in, in, you know involve good germs that are eating the lunch of the bad germs, and you know one way to look at this in household I, I see this as something akin to dietary supplements that enhance something that your body um, does already, and this is starting to happen in home care, and I think it's going to keep getting better. It's, it's interesting. There seems to be a lot of uh, crossover uh, between industries. Um, I mean, it seems that a lot of it's obviously stemming from food, right? It's stemming from food, and a lot of uh, learning uh, learnings coming out of that particular industry. So, so I mean, how how should brands engage with this trend? You know, what should they do about it? Especially if you're a large brand. Um, obviously, it seems like if this is a, a niche area, that there's potentially more opportunity for smaller. Uh, brands, uh, but how should brands engage? Yeah, so in beauty, I wouldn't necessarily tell big brands to completely go back to the drawing board and reformulate because it's still a niche market in beauty even. Consumers are ultimately driven by efficacy over anything. So I think if a brand is wanting to make that step and wanting to make that change, ultimately proving that this product is still effective is going to be what changes the mind of the majority. But among the minority, it's really sticking to transparency, um, source like ingredient sourcing, and ultimately kind of taking out some of those ingredients that are perceived as bad. Yeah, I think in, in household, um, clean household brands need to engage consumers around a more holistic living philosophy. Um, 
you know, consumers are, are asking themselves if, if this ingredient isn't safe to eat, if it's not safe to put on, on my skin, why should I allow exposure to it when I, I clean the house? And so I, I think that's one reason that, that Clean is going to keep growing as a platform for competition um, in, in household. Um, and I, I think brands, household brands need to look at what consumers are trying to achieve with their diets and with their beauty and personal care. Um, regimens. Um, so, for example, the, the, there's a skincare brand that you might have heard of called Mother Dirt. So, everything in this brand's portfolio is geared towards either restoring the microbiome, the skin microbiome, or at the very least, not harming um, the, the microbiome. And you know, this is a, a very expensive premium product. And I, I think consumers who are, are using this sort of thing want to make sure that at the very least, um, their, their household products aren't undoing their skincare investment. So, and that's what I mean when I say that, that household brands really need to, um, um, you know, to promote this holistic cross-category lifestyle. Mm. Yeah, I mean, microbiome is a great example of a cross-category trend we're seeing. It obviously originated with food, with probiotics and yogurt and kombucha and other ingredients. Um, in terms of how brands should be engaging with clean eating, I don't know if the word clean eating is really something brands should ever put on a package. I it mean, sounds a bit odd, yes. Yeah, like I don't think an Oreo packaging will ever have a now 100% clean on it. It just isn't the best term. But obviously natural, no artificial ingredients, communicating those kind of claims on pack is definitely resonates with a growing number of consumers. Would you say this is a cross-generational trend? Or is it a particularly... Uh appealing to one particular I would drive like I would kind of say more Gen Z is mm -hmm. the really the key driver behind this and it's probably a combination of you know their re their willingness to kind of research but it's also social media um, they, they can find out anything um, they want to by simply looking it up on social media or doing their own research. So I think they're really the drivers of the market, at least in beauty, because they're kind of calling brands out and there's these rise of like these kind of watchdog groups, um, almost anti-influencers, if you will, where they're calling brands out for lying about something on pack or maybe misconstruing some of their messaging. So with Gen Zs, they really kind of latch on to this and almost take it upon themselves to be these vigilantes and kind of um, comment about ingredient safety and transparency. So what, what you're almost yeah. saying is it's sort of the, the fact that we have more access to information. Exactly. Is, yeah. Is part of this is partly fueling this because now we have access to be able to really understand what goes into a beauty product or a food product or a cleaning product, perhaps more than before. Yeah, I was going to say for food, we're also seeing this. I mean, Food Babe and other activists have been doing this for a number of years, calling out food companies or even if it's not rooted in science, a lot of these claims about food being unhealthy because it contains certain ingredients. Mm. Yeah, that's another soapbox I could get onto. It's yeah. <laughs> just how much of um, this paranoia is really proven by science and how much of it is entirely consumer driven. Um, because I think that if we look back in the 50s, um, to Hannah's point too, did consumers ultimately know what a retinol was or what it did or what could be a natural version of that? No. Um, and mm. are these ingredients 
terrible for you? Again, no. But um, it's it's a lot of this consumer-driven kind of fear that's changing the market. Mm. Yeah, and I, I think that fear is very strong with household products. You know, especially um, there's a lot of paranoia about you know, whether it's parabens or, or disinfectants. And um, one one trend that I, I think is is rather interesting is that um, you know when, when I talk to to household brands, you know, a lot of brand owners will tell me, well. You know, we, we know that this particular paraben, this particular preservative, isn't dangerous, but it, it has a name that's similar to this other one, um, this other ingredient, um, that is being demonized. So we got rid of it anyway. And one thing that's accompanying the clean movement in household is, is a growing call for greater ingredient transparency. Um, and, you know, it, it, it's very, we would expect ingredients to be listed on, on a food um, or, or skincare package. Historically, this hasn't been the case um, with, with household products. Household brands are, you know, have always considered that they're protecting their intellectual property by not disclosing ingredients. But one thing that I think is starting to happen is that um, science rather than, than hype is ultimately going to drive their ingredient substitutions um, because that will be based on actual um, you know, toxicology data rather than, um, than consumer perception around what's dangerous and what's not. Essentially, so it relies on an informed consumer, this trend, right? It really, it really does. And not everybody is informed. <laughs> Uh, right. No, no, well, and it's kind of yeah. No wants to be. Uh, well, what are they reading to ultimately find yeah. this out? Are they going to like a lifestyle blog and this person has no experience? Or are they going to someone like Hannah who has you know obviously years of um, you know working in this industry and certifications to back it up? And on the other hand, a brand can't put really clean on a packaging and sort of back it up, or can they? Some are. I mean, Panera Bread on their website has, this is our clean list of ingredients. We only use clean. But that's their that term is being not- used only by a niche few um, food companies, I would say, that have a very targeted messaging strategy to appeal to this health-driven consumer. Yeah. And I would say in um, beauty, at least, retailers are ultimately the ones that are driving this kind of regulation in a sense, like Credo, for instance, um, in order to be sold in their stores, you have to make sure that your products do not contain this certain list of ingredients, um, no animal testing, et cetera, but they don't have to be a 100% natural product. And in fact, they say that some of these are not, they just don't contain those um, ingredients that are perceived as toxic or to get like Sephora's green um, clean beauty stamp, you again have to make sure that you don't have these ingredients in there. So it's kind of the retailers are driving this a little bit um, since obviously there's no government regulation behind it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah, that's a good point. I mean, um, retailer mandates are driving clean in household as well. Um, even if you look at mass merchandisers like like Walmart and Target, um, both of these retailers have been banning certain ingredients in household products, and they're also moving towards full ingredient disclosure on pack. And, and to a certain degree, um, a mandate from, um, you know, one of these um, huge retailers can actually be more powerful than government regulations. 
Yeah, and that definitely began in food as well. Whole Foods, for a number of years, has not sold products that they don't deem natural or don't fit into their ingredient standards. And Trader Joe's also has a list of ingredients that they will not sell at their products. And it does. It does drive innovation, especially among natural brands and self-regulation of the industry. So I guess, I mean, that's one challenge then, this sort of relationship with retailers. What other challenges are facing brands with this type of clean positioning? For food, I would say finding balance between still having products with strong functional claims, even if they are using only natural ingredients, still creating products that are convenient, um, can be made quickly and are processed is hard when you're only using natural ingredients and no artificial preservatives or sweeteners or dyes. Um, You know, consumers say they want to only eat natural, but kids at the end of the day want cereal that looks cute which is why when you know trick cereal took out all their artificial colors only to put them back that's a great example so finding this natural is really finding this balance between natural healthy and still tasting great looking appealing is a challenge um I also would say that brands need to think about food safety also within natural. Chipotle only uses natural ingredients and they've had a number of foodborne illnesses at their restaurants. And part Mm -hmm. of the reason is they're preparing everything at their restaurants. You know, they're having people chop everything in-house, do everything in-house that makes them much more susceptible to having these kind of foodborne illness scares versus a McDonald's that gets everything frozen or from a commissary to them they're much less likely to have any kind of foodborne illness issues. Mm. So there's some risk to this. So who are, so I'm going to ask you who you think the stars of clean are within your respective industries. Could you pick, could you name a product or a brand that you think really sort of epitomizes where we're going with this particular trend? Jamie, should I start with you? Oh, oh yeah. Or no, Jamie, feel free. Go ahead. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. There, there's, a, a couple of, of, of brands and or companies that I think are relevant here. Um, Lysol, made by Rec at Binkheiser, has a new daily cleaner that, that uses electrolyzed water. So electrolyzed water, um, if you're not familiar with that, is, is the simple result of passing an electrical current through salt water. Um, this converts the sodium ions to sodium hydroxide, and that results in an alkaline liquid that, that cleans and, and removes um, uh, grease, similar to a lot of detergents. Um, one benefit here is that this allows Lysol to claim that the product has just three ingredients, um, two of which are water and, and salt. Um, the other, um, I, I think S.C. Johnson is worth a mention in, in a clean context as well. Um, you know, when, when I think about the, the hurdles for, for green um, in, in the household category, one is the, the simple fact that many consumers, I think a majority of consumers, depending on which part of the world, still believe that natural is not as effective as, um, as um, you know, traditional synthetic cleaners. And one thing that SC Johnson is doing is they're, they're first of all, they're calling out all ingredients on pack. Um, as well as on their website, but they're they're going beyond that. They're they're calling out ingredients that are known allergens or that have some other sort of health impact. And w- what I think is really interesting here is, even though a, a lot of their their products might not fit the the definition that we're using for clean, 
I think they're realizing that consumers are becoming more sophisticated, they're getting better at research, and they're essentially becoming a partner in that effort. And while certainly this brings some risk that consumers would, would leave SCJ brands for fear of allergens, I think at the end of the day, consumers are, are looking for, for forthright honesty as a decision-making tool. Uh, Alison, you were, you were keen to get in there with yes. your, your star of clean from the beauty industry. Yeah, so um, it's a prestige player, um, Drunk Elephant. They have really kind of taken this clean movement and jumped on it. They have kind of these little catchy ways of explaining that their products are clean and it's what they call the suspicious six and their products won't contain these. I have the list if you want to see them. Um, it's basically no um, silicones, chemical screens, um, sensitizing colorants or perfume, sodium lauryl sulfate, essential oils, and um, drying alcohol. So they claim that all their products do not contain these ingredients and that they're ultimately made to be more like pH balancing, again, tying in that protecting the skin's microbiome. Um, and so they're really kind of pushing onto that movement and latching onto it. And they're huge on social media as well. So I think that really bodes well for them in this clean area. No essential oils, is that? Yeah, so for a while, people were applying these things directly onto their skin, something like tea tree oil or lavender oil without maybe some type of carrier oil, which would be something like a jojoba or um, almond oil even. And it can be kind of harsh on the skin. It can cause like drying or burning or red sensations. And so um, by not including these in the ingredients, it tends to be a little bit less of an irritant. Um, for the food industry, I would say for CPG food companies, the ones that are able to create good messaging and foster brand loyalty through this messaging are the real winners. Siggy's yogurt has done such a good job. They say, you know, we have very little sugar. We only have what you really need. And other companies are now trying to mimic this, such as Jabani just released a new yogurt mm -hmm. product that has a more simple ingredient list. Um, I would say RX Bar also does a really good job communicating. They actually say no BS on their label in terms of ingredients, which I think is pretty funny. Um, for food service, Sweetgreen is really doing a good job in terms of communicating that their products are not only clean, but also transparently sourced. They go above and beyond to communicate with consumers where their greens are coming from, where the toppings on their food coming from and how all of it's sustainably sourced, which I think is somewhat adjacent to this clean definition for many mm. consumers. Great. Well, yeah, there you, there you have it. The stars of clean or some clean brands to watch as we, um, as we go forward. All right. So final question for all of you, which is, you know, where do you think this is all going? You know, what's, what's next? How's this going to evolve over time? I'll, I'll, I'll start. I, I think the, the, the development of natural cleaners has been a very dynamic area. Um, they keep getting better, and the industry is getting closer to achieving the, this holy grail of, of natural products that work as well as, as traditional products. Um, one thing that I, I think, one important indicator here is that this is expanding beyond the, the green niche. We're seeing major companies. Um, Unilever has developed significant um, expertise, for example, in natural surfactants. Um, you know, I mentioned the work that, that Lysol and, and SC Johnson are doing. So this is, we're, we're, we're setting the stage in, in the household category for clean to move into to the mainstream. Um, so I, I think that's important. And, and this has created um, a, a very um, significant pipeline 
of um, of promising natural um, natural active and, and functional ingredients in in the category. The supply chains might not be there yet um, to to make this commercially viable, but the research is is proving to be quite promising. Um, the other thing about this, and, and this might be more specific to the household category, but um, as as brands as household brands move into clean, which also means you know moving into natural ingredients. Um, they're giving, it's allowing them to identify more hero ingredients. And so historically, the household category is, has talked more about what's not in the product than what is. Um, moving in this clean direction allows them to, um, to designate hero ingredients. And I, I think this is important because it gives consumers something to look for, not just something to avoid. I like, I like that. Hero ingredients. We talked about the stars of clean and the hero ingredients. Yes. Alison, where are we going? We have some hero ingredients on the uh, beauty side. Yeah, I mean, we definitely do. But I think that clean is also in beauty going to start encompassing the entire creation of the product from where the ingredients are sourced to um, if the product packaging can be recycled. I think that clean is kind of partnering with this sustainability movement in a way to where we see this kind of relationship where it's almost full circle from start to finish. This product is entirely clean for both the user and the environment. And we started with food, and I think we should have uh, end on, on food. Yeah, Allison actually took mine. I was going to say packaging <laughs> and the entire supply chain has to be clean. No, it's fine. It's good. It's happening across <laughs> categories. Um, exactly. But yeah, I think consumers are beginning to realize, hey, my cereal is coming in a plastic lining. Am I ingesting some of this plastic somehow or chemicals from this lining? I think there's going to be a much greater emphasis and concentration on clean packaging for food in coming years, especially for food products that are targeted towards children. Um, but in general, the future of clean is that it's mandatory now for consumers when it comes to food. It's something that companies have to realize how to make simple ingredient lists, how to cut out artificial ingredients if they want to stay relevant, especially as Gen Z becomes a more influential consumer and millennials continue to really drive the market forward. I mean, I, and I think it's fascinating. I think it's fascinating that it's so sort of pervasive across multiple industries. And I think that's what's so particularly intriguing about the, uh, the, the clean movement. Well, well, great. That, that brings us to the end of our little conversation on defining clean. So I want to say special thank you to our Mintel experts, Alison Gaither, Hannah Spencer and Jamie Rosenberg. Thank you very much, guys. And uh, to our listeners, I hope you will join us for another little conversation. Thank you. Thanks. Thank you. Thanks. Thanks.